from Synchro. I'm Jake Hampson, and this is the InSync Podcast. Today, I'm joined by technology and platform manager Luke Bennett. I first met Luke, a founding champion of the InSync community at our One Mill Street residence in Leamington Spa. Luke agreed to do a podcast with me, and well, today, here we are. Luke talks to the InSync podcast about roots into tech, his career journey thus far, and being told the entire website is down on Christmas Eve. Luke starts by giving us a quick introduction to Bravissimo. Let's talk tech. So, I, yes, I work for Bravissimo. Um, I think those who know the brand will will recognise us as being a, a retailer. We uh, we're on the high street and we've got a website and we we, we sell uh, lingerie primarily. Uh, but 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 as a business, actually, we're all about empowering and celebrating women with bigger boobs. And uh, yes, we sell products. Uh, but uh, it's really that that greater purpose is is why we exist, and and that's relevant as we'll probably get into as we as we chat because it it really influences everything that we do. My role there at the moment is a platform and technology manager. Uh, so I oversee the technology strategy, uh, work very closely with with key people on that to make sure that we're putting in place the right uh, building blocks for the business. Uh, but ultimately, you know, the end goal isn't, oh, nice, shiny tech. The end goal is how are we making these women feel great? How are we contributing to that sort of sense of celebration and inspiration? And And actually, you know, it doesn't really matter as far as they're concerned what technology is behind it it's it's the uh, it's the overall experience that they have and that that really makes you keep focused on the decisions that you make uh, uh on a technology level 10 quick questions luke you ready go for it combustion or electric electric who's your hero uh, I'd have to say the Lord Jesus as a, a Christian. Very good indeed. If you could live anywhere, where would it be? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, got a lot of fond memories of Australia, um, but there's a lot of great places in the UK as well. Um, anywhere with my family is probably the answer. I like it. And what's your biggest fear? <sighs> biggest fear. It would probably be tied in with my faith of, uh, of, of coming unraveled with that. Okay. And what would you change about yourself if you could? What would I change? I would probably want to be a bit more organized and a bit more uh, with it. I think that's what my wife would say anyway. <laughs> I second that. Not about you, about me. <laughs> <laughs> um, what makes you really angry? Probably a sense of, of unfairness, injustice. I, I think it's uh, when, when you see people being taken advantage of, I think that's really, really gets me annoyed. And what motivates you to work hard? I think a sense of, of, of uh, purpose, a sense of what's at stake here. What are you trying to get out of this? What is the end goal? And if you could hire someone to help you, would it be cooking or cleaning? I think it'd have to be the cleaning. The cooking's more <laughs> Same enjoyable. For me. Same for me. Um, what's the longest you've gone without sleep? 
probably about three days. Wow. Sort of. It's cheating, really. It was a it was a flight uh, a flight to Australia that was timed in such a way that um, I, I didn't sleep on the flight, and I sort of had an entire day at either end. Oh my goodness, that is the long. You've got the record for anyone that's answered <laughs> that question now. Um, what's the tallest building you've been on top of? Ooh. Probably the Shard. Excellent. And this is the most important question for me, personally. I've had four no's in a row so far. Will England win the Euros this summer? No. To be honest, I've come to expect that answer now, after five episodes. Now, what inspired the techie within Luke? So I haven't, uh, I haven't really fallen far from the tree. Um, I, I grew up in Warwickshire and uh, I'm still in Warwickshire today. Uh, I lived all my life pretty much in Warwickshire, barring a very short spell. Uh, and I was obviously, I'm a, well, I'm out of an age that sort of predates the, the sort of the PC revolution. Um, so initially in my youngest days, uh, there wasn't much in the way of computing. We didn't have a, a PC or anything like that. Uh, so I wasn't massively interested, um, although I did start to, um, I think I just found some random books in the library about programming games or something. And I just got them out because I had some nice pictures on and I found it kind of interesting. Uh, didn't think too much of it. Uh, and it was it was only really as uh, as I went through secondary school. Um, we, we had we had a BBC Micro at home and I tinkered around on that. Uh, it was only when we sort of got early computers at, at school and had the opportunity to sort of get to know them a bit better that I, I kind of got a bit more interested. I was originally wanting to go down the path of being an architect, so nothing really to do with computers. Um, but I think the idea that you had to train for as many years as you did was a bit off-putting. Uh, and I started to sort of converge on on computers and tech as kind of being a way to have the same sort of creative element as I think I was drawn to by architecture, but in a much kind of faster and more uh, immediately fulfilling way. Um, and I ended up kind of then getting sucked into, into tech. I uh, spent, you know, time on the, on the computers at school and then we eventually got one at home and, and, and kind of um, didn't look back from there really. Fantastic yeah I've got a couple of friends that have done architecture and I think eight years later and they're still getting some form of uh, qualification or other so I, I don't blame you and that's it. Were there any particular motivators, leaders, teachers at school or during any sort of extracurricular activities perhaps? There was uh, certainly I think in the in the early days of the uh, sort of the internet and the, and the, and the World Wide Web. Um, uh, I, I was, I think, through school, uh, able to uh, get access to something that we didn't have at home. And, and I, I was really drawn by um, the, the opportunity to, uh, to actually build something yourself, you know, was, uh, something you could actually produce yourself. And therefore, uh, when we had to sort of curricular activities and the opportunity to sort of use the facilities outside of, um, uh, of sort of class time, I, I took advantage of that. Um, had uh, an IT technician actually at the school who um, I sort of befriended and kind of was able to kind of get a few tips and things off. And um, I remember one of my sort of earliest uh, uh, sense of satisfaction was building a, uh, a championship manager fan site, which built up quite a bit of traffic. Actually, it got listed on the official uh, official 
game website, but sadly it's uh, it's lost in the depths of time, not even on the archive anymore. Um, but just things like that kind of gave an immediate buzz, sort of that sense of uh, uh, being able to see something up in lights that you've produced and other people visiting it was kind of what gave me that early sort of dopamine hit that kept me going. You've answered my next question, which was the first interaction of being hands-on with tech. And that was the first example, was it? Uh, from a, it wasn't actually. I, I did have a, a really old. Um, my, my my granddad actually had a uh, had an old uh, machine. I can't even remember what 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 uh, what make it was now. Um, but I, I, he sort of had been dabbling around in um, in QBasic, and and I used to sort of uh, sort of look over his shoulder a little bit, and he told me a thing or two. I didn't really take it in at the time. Um, but I think, yeah, probably that was the time that I started to actually do something meaningful, um, certainly in the kind of the, the web era. I um, I had a similar experience with my uncle. I'd look over his shoulder and he'd be doing all these straight. I had no idea what he was doing, but the outcome was cool. Sometimes he'd make games or sometimes he'd make the computer do something. And when he pressed the button. So, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. And, and after school, did you attend university? No. So I I was originally... Thinking that I might, uh, the school certainly encouraged you in that direction um, as, a, as a as a general rule. Um, or I did I did have an excellent uh, careers advisor actually, who I sort of stayed in close contact with for for many years afterwards, who was very much forward thinking, and uh, I actually worked with him on a few sort of early projects. And um, he was uh, I think it was around the time the gap year was really starting to become a bit of a thing. And although university was something which it was kind of felt like a natural progression, um, especially as I kind of was able to get the results that would send me in that direction, it, it the, the gap year was appealing because I thought, well, I don't know that I really want to go to uni, but I don't necessarily know exactly what I'm going to do if I don't. So I basically kicked the can down the road and uh, decided I'd take a gap year, not necessarily to do anything particularly fantastic like the, the kids of today do or did before coronavirus stopped it. But having that year just to kind of assess and uh, consider what I might uh, what I might do uh, was something he was kind of um, an advocate of, and so I did that and uh, deferred my university place. Uh, and then twelve months later, when push came to shove and I had to decide whether to take it up or or not, um, I decided the latter. That actually, uh, I'd kind of got the bug for this tech thing by then, and I wanted to stick with it. So I, I cancelled the university place and um, didn't look back. And and going freelance straight out of school, it's a, a brave move. Tell us tell us more about that. Yeah, I had been kind of doing bits and bobs on the side as I was moving through school, as I was getting more confident, picked up a couple of, sort of side projects for various people, um, doing sites and things in the, in the early days, a far cry from the sort of thing you'd have today. Uh, but but in those days it was what it was, and I had had some success with that. It was my equivalent of doing a newspaper round, I suppose. And um, I had enough of that going, and a few other things in the pipeline uh, that I decided to to to, to run with that post school, uh, and uh, I, I did that for, for for a year or so. Uh, and then when the decision point came around uni, and I decided I didn't really want to go into uni I felt that the pace at which technology was moving even then uh, was was so fast that going to a university that was likely to offer me a, a really useful but theoretical course that wasn't actually going to help me with this newfangled 
world of the web that was you know so new that the syllabuses hadn't caught up yet um i, I felt it was better to to, to 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 be on the ground getting my hands dirty and learning that way um but when that decision point came and i realized there was no sort of natural backstop of a of a university place it was either a case of double down and make this freelance thing a, a proper sustainable business um or or go full time and actually learn learn in a another environment where i can uh, get paid a full-time salary for doing so uh, and that's the way i took and, and what was it that you were doing if you don't mind me asking a bit of a mixture really um a few websites like i say i, I did some graphic design i actually did some work for the school after i left I, I did their staff handbook for them um just a few bits and bobs um which was actually really useful because it, it kind of gave me some uh, a, a broad spectrum of experience i i did some web hosting so i was kind of doing server administration and um, very much working closely with others in that space to um, to, to share things, uh, and learn from each other, and and uh, help each other with the with the pain points of, of a hosting company. Uh, nothing particularly fantastic or, or, or glorious, but it was it was a good learning experience. It brought a bit of money in, um, and then as I kind of went full time and my career started to sort of move forward, I, I wound all that down and, and eventually um, got rid of all the clients. What what can what can other people learn from that? What can others take from that as opposed to like a university versus experience approach? I'm not going to tell anybody that they shouldn't go to university because there's there's lots of reasons why you might choose to do so. Um, but I think a really important thing that I'm quite passionate about is you should never feel like you have to go to university. You should never feel like your career needs you to go to university. I think that message is one that's got a little bit more prominent these days and than back then um, but I suspect a lot of people still sort of get sucked into it and, and going back to my day you know there weren't the kind of fees that there are today and I think when you think about the cost of a university place in total you know what it costs you to get out the other end and when you think about the opportunities in tech and the, the salaries you can earn in tech and where you might be three years down the road if you were earning and getting experience I think the time to get your return on investment from universities is so long these days um, you have to sort of be really sure that it's the it's the right route. Um, there are obviously other reasons why you might go to university and other benefits, but uh, I certainly don't think anyone should feel like it it's a necessity because if you've got the appetite to learn and you're motivated to to learn by yourself um, and take responsibility for for that progression, then there's absolutely opportunities out there for you to do that. Wish I would have listened to you uh, before I spent about forty grand. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> did that Luke um, but um, yeah that's that's an absolutely perfect summary I, I, I want to move on to what I'd describe as your first career move um, Enable Software came knocking like, where did that opportunity present itself? Uh, that was just uh, at the point I decided that I was not going to go to university and I was wanting to find something permanent um, I just sort of had a hunt around online um, on the uh, on the job boards back then which were not quite so uh, crazy as they are today. There's fewer of them. Uh, and it happened quite fast, actually. I think I, I sort of saw this opportunity come up. It, it seemed the sort of thing that I might go for. There's that conundrum, which I think people probably still experience, which is lots of jobs say, you know, need at least two years experience. But if you're just starting out and you haven't got two years experience, then how are you ever going to get the experience to, to show? Um, but I kind of said, oh, you know, I'll give it a go, what I've got to lose. And um, I think I had a call back later that day, an interview the next day, and I sort of started the next week. It all actually happened really fast. And, um, you know, I 
really grateful to Enable. They, they took a bit of a punt on me um, because, you know, I, I was brand new. I hadn't got any sort of meaningful credentials. I'd just done my own kind of bit of freelancing. Um, but uh, I was there for eight years. So I think uh, overall it was probably not a bad hire for them. <laughs> uh, were there any difficulties moving from your, I guess, freelance work to working for someone else at all? It's different, you know. You're you're, you're not your own boss, um, but at the same time, you've particularly at the point I was at, uh, I hadn't been sort of freelancing all my life and and making a major sort of career change. It was really valuable to kind of have the support network around me of of colleagues and uh, you know a steady stream of work coming in, and I could just double down and focus on um, you know building the. The, the the various sites and apps and services that that I was working on without having to worry too much about you know bringing the business in and and managing the books and all the other things that go with running your own business uh, for me particularly at that time you know I was still living at home um, didn't have much in the way of dependencies it was a great opportunity to get to get some good disposable income uh, you know allowed me to go and travel a bit and uh, not have to worry about uh, what happens to my business whilst I'm Whilst I'm away, I think uh, the golden rule of, of running your own business is the only time things go wrong is when you're on holiday, or certainly that's the time they like, they mostly go wrong. Uh, nearly every time I went away during that spell, something went wrong. Uh, it's just the way it was. So it's really nice not to have to worry too much about that and just be able to, uh, to, to, to enjoy it now. If I was in that situation today, you know, where I've been doing freelancing for many, many years, I think the adjustment will be different, but but certainly I think at that phase of life it was it was a definitely a, a positive. Absolutely, and and what were you responsible to start with, uh, enable? So I started out just working on sort of websites for clients. We we had a lot of uh, local businesses that we built sites for. Um, we also had our um, our own applications that we used to help with that like content management and uh, document management sort of things. Uh, we actually had uh, a headless content management system, which uh, you know is, is all the rage these days. But but going back twenty odd years, uh, it, it was I think probably one of the one of the first out there. And and I sort of transitioned during my time there from sort of just building the websites to actually maintaining those internal systems and enhancing them and and designing and building uh, sort of a new new apps that we then sold as 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 a service to clients as opposed to just building sites all the time and the business slowly evolved and, and morphed it was a bit of a startup and um that was interesting in itself because it meant like sort of typical startup environment you know as well as doing your day job you do all the other things you don't expect to at one point i was even helping design the office layout and and uh, where to put the walls as we had a new new office built which is all good fun that's it it's um Having having been in a company like that, it's it's almost the most fun is doing the things that you're not necessarily employed to do. And um, yeah, absolutely, I, I agree with you on that. Um, and that journey took you uh, to to software engineer, an eight year journey almost, just over. Uh, I saw a stat that the average duration of employment within tech firms is just below eleven months. Um, it's a theme in your career to stay for a company almost 10 times that long, if not longer, uh, and counting. What's the reason for that? I think it comes back to um, ultimately, you know, what what it is that I enjoy about working in this space. And, and it, it's that sense of uh, what you actually get at the end of it is, is, is you, you've, you've achieved something 
And uh, for me, I, I like that sense of, of being part of a journey, of, of actually seeing something over time that, um, you know, what, what, what motivates me about this is, 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 is the longer term achievement rather than just the next paycheck. So you can certainly, you know, if you want to maximize your earnings or uh, maximize you know, the variety of experience that you pick up, you know, moving around from, from role to role is, is, is the way to go. Um, but for me, the motivator is really being part of something, building something over the, over the longer term. Um, and, you know, the, as part of that, you know, I want to make sure that the places that I work are, are the sorts of places I can see myself being for a decent length of time uh, and, and finding a really good fit there for, for what they're doing and, and what motivates me. And um, with, with, with Enable, you know, it was, it, was, it was a good place to work. There was a good sense of, of achievement of, uh, you know, achieving some really good things. And, and they've gone on since I left to, to, to even bigger bigger things. And, you know, it, it's nice to be able to think you you played you know, quite, a, quite a part in that journey rather than just a fleeting moment. Absolutely makes sense. As a follow-up, what would you point to towards the reason for that stat of, of the 11 months being the average time in a tech company? It, it, I think certainly at the moment, there's, uh, there's a, a large sort of uh, amount of people who are kind of moving from the permanent space to the contract space. And I think that might have an implication there. People sort of moving from contract to contract. Um, I think there's a a huge demand for for people in tech, and I think that obviously presents opportunities. And so, if you're uh, if you've got anything about your role that you might not be entirely happy with, you haven't exactly got a dearth of of alternative opportunities to to follow. So, I think that probably has a part to play in it. I think eleven months does seem a little bit on the low side in my experience. So, it might might well be the contract market that's affecting that. But on the permanent side, even then, you know, two to three years is 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 considered i think as a hirer as a hiring manager if, if somebody is with me for a couple of years and then moves on I, I, you know it's a shame because if they're good you want to keep them but you can't necessarily see that as unreasonable um whereas obviously the less time they they spend with you and the more you've invested in onboarding them the, the more challenging it gets so um a couple of years would, would feel more normal so 11 months is is certainly a uh uh, a really short time really given what would typically go into onboarding you that's what i thought when i read it but you know i'll, uh, I'll maybe i'll double check my facts on that and see if uh, if that is the case but i mean i guess another question for following up from that is also the contract world um so contractor what's your thought on how how you'd approach the hiring would you prefer to bring on contractors to um finish a job to get to a certain end goal or would you prefer to build your team for the long term and bring on more permanent people because i know some people are literally one or the other in some cases and they're very they're, they, they really believe in having contractors come in to do a job to keep the long-term overheads down some people want people to buy into the company be the right cultural fit to drive forward where do you fall on that um, argument I think I think it's that classic answer of it depends, which is which is always great. Actually, <laughs> neither one way or the other. Um, certainly, I think depending on the company and the project, um, some will lend themselves more naturally to, to one or the other. So certainly at Bravissimo, we are we're, we're driven by by a, by a focus on on empowering and celebrating women with with big boobs. Um, we're not driven by building tech. We're not even driven by selling products. We're not really, you know, we don't think of ourselves as a product company. And to, to really achieve that, you know, we want people who are 
heavily invested in in doing that because everybody plays their part. Um, and I think when you bring contractors in, um, when they're only expecting to be there a short period of time, and actually for legal and tax reasons, have to try and keep a degree of separation between themselves and them, whoever's paying their bills, um, it, it's really hard to, to drive the kind of engagement that you need to have everybody working in that same direction. Uh, and, and, and when you have your own systems as well, you don't want too much domain knowledge constantly going out of the door when they built it up. However, there are certain projects or perhaps uh, initiatives, or, or maybe if you're a, a different type of company, maybe an agency or something where you're, you're working with a high volume of projects for different clients, and perhaps that longevity is not so much of a factor, then contractors can certainly um, play a part in coming in and giving you some some sort of bursts of, of, of additional capacity. Um, and I think somewhere in the middle there is the kind of the um, sort of the, the agency model where you might work with a partner who can provide you with some flexible resource and you can flex up and flex down. That, that works to an extent. Again, if you can count on the same people coming in, you've got some continuity there. Um, although if it's a constant churn of people, then you know, you've still got some of those same problems. So yeah, it, it, it depends, I think, on, on the context and on the, uh, the, the circumstances as to, to what the right fit might be. I don't think you can say for sure, you know, contract is better or, or perm is better. Um, they, they both have their, their pros and their cons. A very diplomatic, very diplomatic answer. Very diplomatic answer. <laughs> I like it, but but also correct. Um, then the move from Stratford upon Avon, not very, uh, not a very uh, long move, not not a far drive to Leamington Spa, um, that occurred with your move to to Bravissimo. Um, now, when I've got guests on here, normally I speak about they went from here to here to here to here to here. That's not the case with with, with your career. It's been from Enable. To Bravissimo, how did that opportunity come about for you? Was that a slightly different one from from the first? Yes, it was aligned really with sort of um, life changes, uh, family life changes, uh, new priorities, that sort of thing. I, I wanted to be somewhere that's a bit closer to home. I wanted to be somewhere that perhaps was just a, a sort of change uh, aligned with other changes that were going on. And uh, it was wasn't a, a quick sort of overnight change. I, I sort of spent the best part of a year. Um, from the point at which I thought I wanted to move on to to, to actually going to Barissimo. Um, it took that long just to find the right opportunity. And then once I felt it was the right one, it was it was quite quick to, to progress from there. Um, truth be told, you know, from the outside, it's not the sort of place I would have imagined ever, ever working. Um, it, you know, at the time, coming from a software house, a place that I was dealing with a whole host of clients of, of different types, uh, going into sort of a, a women's aware firm wasn't the sort of move I would have imagined making. Um, but I gave them the opportunity to sort of uh, explain what they were about. And I realized that actually it's not all women's wear retail at all. It's a it's a purpose-driven company that's that's uh, trying to change lives for the better. And when you think of it like that, you think, well, actually, that's something I can really see myself being a part of. And, you know, back to that point about wanting to be part of a journey and, and being somewhere for long enough to make a real impression – it was the sort of thing I could see myself doing for, for, for a good period of time. Um, probably wouldn't have said I'd have been there quite as long as I have at the start, um, but, uh, but I have been, which I think tells its own story. And yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a great opportunity. Uh, it sort of ticked the, the personal life requirement boxes and it sort of ticked the career boxes. And uh, it, it opened up the next chapter of my career, which has had uh, you know, uh, a whole load of new experiences compared to, to what I'd been doing before. Fantastic. And apart from the product offering, what were the obvious differences for you between the companies and, and, and your day-to-day -day duties? 
I think, funnily enough, the fact that it was not a uh, a tech company, uh, you know, it wasn't a company whose prime purpose was to build software, uh, although on paper might not have attracted my kind of inner shiny developer type of thinking, it, it really accelerated that that sort of purpose element because you realize that actually what, what we're doing here is we're we're trying to achieve you know, meaningful change in a way that individual applications I might have worked on in the past wouldn't have. And, and that that certainly does bring about a very different uh, culture, very different mindset. Um, we're not we're not all about, you know, the, 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 the latest shiny tech for the sake of the latest shiny tech. We're all about trying to achieve something. And you almost have the opportunity to to um, to try different things as long as it's contributing to that to that end goal you're not simply waiting until the client's finished their budget you know once they've used up all their money you have to stop regardless sort of thing you're you're able to kind of have a lot more ownership and a lot more buy-in to to what you're trying to do because you're working towards that greater goal and so there was a much more of a sense of um uh working towards that goal with autonomy to to get there which was really appealing 10 years later you're now platform and technology manager. What are some of the highlights over those 10 years? Some things that you're especially proud of? I, I think the um, personal f- for me really is is overseeing a, a transformation from sort of the the tech stock we had tech stack we had at the start, which was uh, sort of primarily Microsoft based and um, uh, limiting in quite a few ways uh, from from the e-commerce platform side of things, which I was overseeing, uh, transforming that into a much more modern tech stack that was uh, built using uh, containers, full stack JavaScript, um, et cetera, uh, properly scalable, cloud-based, sort of fit for the future. And uh, whilst there's still huge amounts of work we have to do as part of our ongoing digital transformation, for sure, um, being able to sort of see my vision come to life and uh, and executed and, and, and working is, is, is really fulfilling. Um, as I say, the work doesn't stop there. There's, there's no end of, of other things that, that we need to uh, need to deliver, but but that was sort of a personal kind of career satisfaction for me. Um, I think being part of the the the, the, the journey around uh, serving our customers, and, and there's been plenty of, of milestones as a business uh, that, that, w- that we've achieved, and being part of that journey and and seeing how you've contributed to that. We, we, we've launched new brands. We've um, uh, expanded abroad, those sort of, of company milestones, um, because everybody really gets to see how they fit into the bigger picture. It's not just some kind of achievement that the you know, the people at the top are talking about that you don't really feel any affinity to. You really feel like you've been a part of that. So, like I say, la- launching into the US um, was a, was a major milestone a couple of years back, and, and you know, replatforming to make ourselves able to uh, take payment in foreign currencies and have multilingual content and that sort of thing was all really key milestones on that journey. Awesome. And and can you share with InSync any of the major incidents that you've overseen, the major oh beep? Well, I think the uh, the standout one for me was probably heading home on uh, on Christmas Eve. We'd been uh, we'd been allowed to uh, sort of go early as is often the case, uh, day before Christmas. And um, on the way home in the car, my phone starts to ping. Um, 
I'm driving, so I can't do anything about it. Get home, and there are alerts going off about the site. And uh, we were having a denial of service attack, which ran all the way through the night into Christmas Day morning. So I was there on the on the phone at all hours, talking to the uh, to the owner of the company, to the marketing director, to colleagues in in IT as we're trying to get a handle on this um, because it's kind of prime gift voucher time. You know, people making their last minute purchases. Uh, we're not going to ship any products in that short window, but a lot of people will be both buying and then redeeming vouchers. Uh, so that was fun because uh, even as I say Christmas Day morning, we were still putting out the the dying embers. And I think that the real takeaway from that for me was, you know, it, the, you would have never thought you had a target on your back, a small kind of UK-based retailer. Why would people ever want to do that to us? But somebody did. Never quite managed to find out who. Um, so that, that was a good, fun experience. And I think other other ones that uh, that have been the, the standout incidents have 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 been the unexpected again. You know, we once found that um, some really key critical infrastructure got switched off because of a, a, an account snafu with a provider. Um, but it happened at a weekend and we couldn't raise anybody in the right department to get it switched back on. And it's one of those things where you think you've thought of everything and then the most bizarre thing happens and you're left trying to get hold of somebody in the billing department on a Sunday morning when you've got no chance of doing so. And um, in the end, um, you know, we, we got things back up and running. But when it's out of your hands as a techie to do anything about and you're literally at the mercy of somebody else, it's, uh, it's, it's really frustrating. Um, but again, I think experiences like that, the, the, the most um, important thing that I think you learn from them is, is to expect the unexpected. You know, however prepared you are, however much you think you've thought everything through, um, there will always be something that comes out of left field and um, and gets you when you're not expecting it. And uh, you just have to be adaptable and, um, you know, ready to, to think on your feet and uh, get creative with, with solutions and workarounds and the like, I think, because, uh, you know, planning for resiliency and, and failovers and fallbacks and all this sort of thing will will get you so far, but uh, there'll always be that little thing you've never thought of. I don't know. I don't know what it is about um, stories like that, where they're just, uh, they're the most interesting ones. The ones where everything went wrong and uh, especially on Christmas Eve, that could have, uh, I bet you weren't uh, chirpy in the morning on, on Christmas morning when everyone wanted to open their presents. <laughs> so it's, it's not a secret that there's been a, a virus spreading around the world. I'm sure you're aware. Um, I heard something about it, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the first few internal meetings um, when this, this changed from a virus in China to the Prime Minister telling us not to leave our homes in March. What what were, what were some of the things said in those meetings? It, yeah, it was, it was funny times, wasn't it? It, it was this um, sense of, of, of something, something's looming here, but we don't quite know what, and certainly nobody foresaw clearly just how long it was going to go on for. Um, I, I think w- when you work in in IT, in, in, in tech, it's it's not that unusual to work remotely, to, to work from home or to work from, from somewhere else. But when you think about an entire business, um, again, just going back to the previous comment about, um, you know, sort of disaster, um, mitigating disasters and planning for disasters and things, you you kind of think you've thought of everything and then something comes along that you just haven't thought could happen and um, you suddenly realise all the sort of the, 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 the gaps in your disaster recovery plan or the, or the things you haven't necessarily got a contingency for. 
Um, so, you know, we sort of make plans for having to fail over from one building to another if there's a, a major problem, but you don't necessarily plan for the fact that nobody can go into either building at all at any point. Um, so for us, um, I think that the immediate realization was if we're going to have to um, shut down the building, essentially, um, what does that mean for a really core part of our business, which is our, our, our service, our customer service? You know, we might be able to log in from home from, from a tech point of view, um, but what about the ability for our customers to, to speak to us on the phone, especially if we're having to close our shops as well so they can't go into the shops? And um, so those early calls are really geared around how do we mobilize um, the entire business to go home? And uh, it, was, it was fantastic, actually. We managed to get, within a matter of a handful of days, which is all the notice we really had, um, we managed to get our entire business working remotely, uh, interacting remotely. We were still fielding calls from customers. Um, okay, you know, we had some challenges around um, warehouse capacity because, you know, social distancing measures weren't in place then. So we were having to kind of uh, deal with all kinds of delays and backlogs. But we were able to to have um, have our customer services taking calls and, and fielding um, queries and questions and helping customers uh, from from their homes, which was something we'd have never anticipated ever doing because you know it's not ideal. But when your back's against the wall and you've, you, you the clock's ticking and you've got to do something, um, you know, come with the hour, we managed to to make it happen, and uh, and that was actually really satisfying because I know that quite deep into lockdown, I was. Um, I would find that when I was speaking to a, a company about something, I wouldn't be able to get through on the phones because you know they weren't available because of COVID. So to actually have been able to make our services available, even if there was a slightly reduced level of service, because you know we hadn't quite got the same uh, when they're in the office, the customer services can access products and things to answer questions, but when they're at home, it's more limited. But we were at least able to offer a high level of service compared to, to nothing at all. Fantastic. And um, how, how did objectives and targets change for maybe not for sales of the business, I mean, but more so f- for yourself? Did you have ambitions on January the 1st that you had to shelf and and, and reassess? Yes. I'm obviously the, the, the number one objective became just nursing ourselves through through the pandemic, being in retail. You know, we were on the front line of, of, of really feeling the effects. You know, one of the businesses that uh, had to close very early on, we weren't able to particularly capitalized like uh, other, other businesses have been beneficiaries because they've had more football you know supermarkets and the like well we went in that camp we had to close our shops um we you know we experienced a, a boost to our uh, e-com trade um but you know losing all of the in-store trade was a significant impact and so really our objectives and our priorities evolved around making sure that we as a business could um could ride the ride the wave of, 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 of the pandemic and, and come out the other side, you know, with a business. We've seen, a, you know, sadly, we've seen some casualties in the retail space um, who haven't managed to do that. Um, and so our priority really was just around, you know, across the whole business, top to bottom, um, making sure that we were making the right decisions to get through that. So, you know, anybody who owned a budget who had a responsibility over, over money, you know, we were looking at how we could uh, handle that efficiently and effectively how we could make sure that we're optimizing for, for, for the trade that we could do, uh, how we could minimize the delays that we're experiencing and overall make that customer experience as positive as it could be, uh, even though things were really difficult. Are you still in that mode 
um, at all, Luke? Or are you, have, you, have you set new targets now that you know this is maybe what we're in for the next few months we need to push on? What, what mode are you in now? We're, yeah, I think it's fair to say that we're not in quite the same uh, intensity of firefighting as we were during those early weeks of the lockdown. The simple reality is, you know, our shops are closed at the moment. We're in another lockdown. And so from that point of view, we're still feeling the, the, the effects but we do have a very different mentality. I think we were very fast out of the blocks in um, facing into the pandemic and the implications. We were able to make some plans. We were able to to come up with some new um, uh, ways of approaching some of these challenges and be better prepared for the subsequent lockdowns. So now, for example, as we have the uh, the shop closed at the moment, we actually have try to make that uh, uh, take advantage of that by by doing some virtual fittings so that we can still interact with customers even though the shops are closed things like that we've been able to take a more positive approach to it and so really our i suppose our, our mindset and our objectives have shifted from being just uh, just you know keep your heads above water into well how do you make the most of the situation that we're in what are the positive things we can do so that we're we're not just treading water but we are actually moving forward even if we're not moving as as we would like to because we've still got a chunk of trade that's missing gotcha and and, and what do you predict of the long-term effects of the past 12 months on on retail and, and particular on on bravissimo what what won't be the same ever again in your opinion i think for for us you know as for many companies the the remote working side of things we we kind of it happened sort of now and again, sort of slightly exceptional circumstances pre-pandemic. Um, but I think our eyes were really opened as a business to the fact that, you know, you can be productive, you can be agile, you can be flexible working from home. Um, we actually delivered a fairly major um, enhancement to our e-commerce platform, you know, during that lockdown period, uh, once things calm down a little bit. Um, and you know, it's all done entirely remote. It was the first major deliverable in that situation um and um whilst we have in it as i say we have worked with remote workers perhaps more so than other departments um to do a project that actually involved people across the business and deliver it was was really satisfying and i think you know the business has really learned from those experiences so i think we'll be seeing a shift in our attitude to what the office is all about so it becomes more a hub of communication of collaboration and less about going in, sitting at your desk, tapping away on a keyboard when you could just do that from home. Um, I think from a, from the retail point of view, you know, we, we we obviously expect the shops to open at some point. We don't quite know how the uh, the footfall will return, how fast it will return back up to normal levels. Um, but I think there's probably going to be a lasting impact on on the the relationship we have with our, our retail customers for example the, the virtual fittings like i mentioned you know we've we've done things as a result of lockdown that we'd never tried before and i'm pretty sure that we'll want to carry some of those forward and keep them as a permanent fixture um, that perhaps we would have never been tempted to try or, or maybe it would have taken us a long time to to try had our hand not been forced in this way and uh, while everyone speaks about change what will remain the same when things can return to, to to a near normal? What what does the company and yourself look forward to being back to the same? I think it's going to be the uh, no surprise, but the, the sort of the cultural social elements of it. 
I think the remote working has has kind of worked well for, for us in many ways. But I think when you're part of an organization that's all about purpose, about being aligned, being about pulling in the same direction, um, and um, the sort of people that we employ to help us ensure that that's the case, you know, we typically work well together. You know, it's not a hugely political environment. It's not a toxic environment. Um, it's a generally really positive environment. You know, as a company, we've been rated in the top 100 companies to work for for the last 13, 14 years. Uh, and that is quite hard to replicate. It was harder to replicate online. So I think even if we're not back in the office in quite the same way that we were before, being able to start to feel that culture you know, around you more, I think is the bit that most people probably are, are missing the most. And no more quizzes, right? And no more quizzes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all quizzed out. Um, what, what would a successful career look like to you, uh, Luke? If you were to look back at what you've achieved, looking forward to what you want to achieve, what would a successful career look like to you? I think, to be honest, for me, you know, success isn't about the most money you make or how famous you become. It, it, it will simply be, have I been able to provide for my family in in to the best of my abilities and along the way, having been able to, you know, have a, a positive impact on uh, the beneficiaries of the work that I've done, whether that's, you know, most customers or, or whether it's it's something else in the future uh, the point is i think i want to be able to look back and feel like i've i've used used my abilities well um for, for the benefit of others and you know provided for my family um and um most importantly of all you know not done that at the expense of my time with my family you know i could probably you know go and earn mega mega bucks if i was to become a slave to work and work crazy hours and never see the family but that wouldn't be success by my book because you know your kids only grow up once right so if you miss them doing that then you don't get that back so i think it's about that 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 balance for me is 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 being able to make the most of what you've got without sacrificing things along the way I love that. I absolutely love that. And and what advice would you give to people who are currently looking to change into a career in tech? Do, do you know of any specific avenues to kickstart this learning and change, especially with your background being um, what I'd describe as, uh, as as different from what people would associate with the norm to get into that tech career? Yeah, sure. I think I think there's 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 two things I'd say on that. F- firstly, you know, don't be afraid to give it a go. I realise. If you are walking away from a previous career, there might be, you know, quite a risk. Personally, if you're walking away from a uh, an income that you've got in something that you've done for many years and you're approaching something new, clearly there's an element of, of risk there that you've got to weigh up. But in terms of just, you know, am I good enough to do it? You, you don't have to have come through a CS degree, like we've said, to, to, to get into tech. You don't have to have followed a particular path. And equally, you don't have to think that if, if you have been working for a number of years in a different field and you're thinking of getting into tech, don't discount your work experience as completely irrelevant. Actually, I, I'm a big proponent of the fact that, that, that software and tech is not actually about about the coding it's not about the the software artifacts that you build it's about the people it's about the the the, the communication it's about the purpose that, of what you're trying to achieve and and so much of that is the soft skills 
that you don't have to have learnt on a technical course. Uh, if you've worked in an environment that's collaborative and lots of communication, I've worked with people that have come into tech from teaching backgrounds. So, you know, articulating concepts to people who are learning, you know, it's a really important part of, of working as a team. Um, I've worked with people from musical backgrounds. So the creative element that comes from that is really valuable. You have a lot probably from your from your past life to bring with you into tech and you shouldn't discount that. And on a sort of a, a practical level as to you know what avenues might I pursue, um, I'm a huge fan of um, this is this is obviously a sort of a, a Warwickshire Midlands based podcast, and uh, the School of Code based in Birmingham um, is 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 a, a wonderful organisation that takes people in from all walks of life as diverse as possible, um, puts them through a three month tech boot camp, um, gets them to work on a project as part of a team, and then showcase that project at the end. And um, and then helps them sort of find a find a role in the in the local tech industry, and uh, I, I've been a beneficiary of that as a hire. I've hired a number of people from that boot camp, um, and I also know people who have been through the boot camp as well. And it, it is it's amazing the number of positive stories that you hear about people who have you know changed course in their life, gone into tech, and and use this as their springboard. And um, the number of success stories of people who've been doing it now for a couple of years, because the, the boot camp's been running a while, um, and how they've gone on to second and third jobs in some cases is, is fantastic. And, um, you know, that sort of avenue is, is an example of how it's never too late to think I'm going to change tack and try something a bit different. Um, and as the many boot campers that have been through that process have shown, you know, you can get into tech from any background if you've got the desire um, and you're bringing a lot with you and you just need to appreciate that and make the most of it. Beautiful. And I'll leave a link in any socials we do for this uh, podcast to, to that um, exact uh, school of code. So people can check that out. Absolutely. Um, final question, Luke, and thank you for coming on. It goes quickly, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, uh, shut that- by. That wasn't the final question. Um, <laughs> um, so, Luke, you tend to work in tranches of 10 years. <laughs> ten, 10 years, give or take, at Enable. 10 years at Bravissimo. What's the next 10 years look like for you? It's a very good question. Um, it will depend on you know whether I am still able to have the sort of impact that 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 I've said I like to try and have um, I think there's uh, there's certainly no no shortage of of further things to achieve at Verissimo there's there's no shortage of projects and initiatives if anything um, you know that we're only just scratching the surface of, of, of some of the things that we need to achieve in the next 10 years so I'm certainly not going to run out of things to do in a hurry um, I think it's it's really going to come down to those principles I've, I've said before. If I'm able to uh, feel like I'm adding value and, and making a difference, uh, and if I, I've got the right sort of family um, balances and things in place, uh, and I feel like I'm making the most of my abilities, and uh, you know I'm, I'm happy with how things are going, then it could be another ten years at Bravissimo. It could be uh, a chunk of that doing something else. We'll, we'll have to see. But it's, uh, I, I think, it, as I say, it, it's just, do you feel like you're achieving those those career goals or, or not? And um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's that will be the thing that uh, that guides me ultimately, I guess. 
a guarded but honest answer. I like it. I absolutely <laughs> like it. And uh, thank you so much. I think one of the big takeaways for me on this podcast has been you can get very stuck in tech in in a career to work all the hours that God sends. And um, there's a belief that the only people that can progress, not just at a, the heights of companies, but into seniority, into management in companies are the ones that have to work 24 hours a day and not see their family. But I think one of the takeaways from this podcast would be that, okay, you know, we're not talking a nine to five and and, and leave at five o'clock. Some days you work extra hours, some days you work uh, Christmas Eve. Um, <laughs> but there is room for a balanced career in tech. Would that be right? Absolutely. I would say in at any time in, in a tech career, you, you need to be prepared that you might need to run a bit hot. You know, there's a, there's, there's a particular initiative that's running through a critical phase. Um, and perhaps there's a time when when you need to put in a couple of extra hours. Um, but that should always be a limited period when that's necessary. If, if it's, you know, it shouldn't really be necessary in the first place, but, but sometimes life happens. If you find that you are having to be constantly working that way, then to me, that's an indication that the the employer is probably not the right one to be working for, because actually, if, if they're happy with that, and they're, they're not seeing that as a problem, and it's, it's, a, it's a long running thing, and they're not providing whatever additional capacity might be needed, etc., then, then ultimately, you know, you're going to lose out, like I say, you know, in the case of kids, they only go at once, you can't go back and, and relive those years. Um, it's absolutely the case that you don't need to be working every hour of the day to, to, to succeed. Um, I think really what matters most of all is, you know, are you are you honest? Are you are you do you have integrity? Are you a good, solid worker? Um, you know, if, if, if you've got the right characteristics um, and if you are a good sort of cultural fit for your organisation, um, you know, there's no reason why um, why you shouldn't have a, a really fulfilling career. If, if you start trying to um, you know, hop around to maximise your earnings, you may well run into some places that, that uh, are taking advantage of, of you know, of the incentive of a big salary to get away with some pretty shoddy uh, working practices. Getting their pound of flesh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Luke, thank you. Thank you very much. The InSync podcast with Luke Bennett from Bravissimo. It's a wrap. Join us next week when we've got Seb Mills from Gymshark. Shark.